0: Grace and mercy and peace be with you from God, our Father, and from our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. When we began this sermon series three weeks ago on the book of Acts, at the very beginning of Acts, in chapter 1, verse 8, Jesus was very clear. Jesus was very clear with his disciples before ascending to heaven. He was very clear with them what his command and his commission to them was, and he said very clearly to them, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, and in Judea, and in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. This is the way it's written in the Greek language, and, 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 and. It is not a progression in the Greek grammar, in the English grammar, it's not a progression. It does not say, first make disciples and be my witnesses in Jerusalem, then in Judea, then in Samaria, then to the ends of the earth. He does not say to them, once you have established a megachurch in Jerusalem and you become financially sustainable and you've got a perfect strategic plan, then go to the ends of the earth. No, he says, I want you to be my witnesses, the witnesses of my resurrection everywhere at all times. Jesus is clear, be my witnesses everywhere. But up until this point, in the book of Acts, where, until we've gotten to where we've gotten today in Acts chapter 10, here's what's happened in the book of Acts so far. In Acts chapters 1 through 7, the disciples are primarily in Jerusalem. Therefore, the Christian church primarily existed in the city of Jerusalem. After that miraculous Pentecost event in Acts chapter 2, where the Holy Spirit came upon Peter and the disciples, About 3,000 people that day believed and were baptized. 3,000, how many of you are there? Not 3,000, imagine 3,000 people in one day converting to faith in Jesus Christ. Soon after that, in Acts chapter 4, verse 4, there is another massive conversion experience. It says another 5,000 were added to their number. Things in the Jerusalem church in Acts chapter 1 through 7 seem to be going very well, People are are giving, they're selling their possessions and their land and giving it to the ministry. Orphans and widows are being taken care of. A structure in the church is being established. People are being appointed to care for one another's needs. But so far, the Christians in Jerusalem in Acts 1-7 through haven't really gone anywhere. Yes, they have experienced growth in their church, but there has also been a level of disobedience to the command of Christ in Acts chapter 1-8, because they have not yet gone. They didn't go anywhere, they stayed relatively close to home. So even though they've had great growth, they've also in some ways been disobedient to the command of Christ. Fast forward into Acts chapter 9. In Acts chapter 9, we see the extreme lengths that God is willing to go in order to have the message of the resurrection proclaimed to the world. And here's what we see in Acts chapter 9. Do you remember last week? If you were here last week, we talked about this, uh, uh, this apostle Stephen. Stephen, who was murdered for his proclamation of Jesus Christ. He was murdered. They threw rocks at him and he died. And there giving approval to the death of Stephen was a young man named Saul. Do you remember this? Saul was there giving giving affirmation and approval to this murder of Stephen. But this guy in Acts chapter 9, Saul shows back up. Maybe you know this story. And Saul is on his way to the city of Damascus, To persecute more Christians. And the resurrected Jesus, who's already ascended into heaven, but appears miraculously before Saul and, long story short, converts Saul. He converts him from being this persecutor of the faith, this man who, as we saw last week, was going house by house, dragging Christians out of their homes. Imagine this. Dragging Christians out of their homes to throw them in prison and likely be put to death. Now, here he is. God goes to him to convert him to be his apostle and witness of the resurrection to the furthest reaches of the earth. Imagine that. God is willing to go to extreme lengths. We're going to learn more about Paul in the coming weeks as we continue to travel through the book of Acts, so I'll just leave that there. We'll talk a little bit more about him today. But what I want you to hear today is this story of of the conversion of Saul, who we heard is also called Paul. It's a story of conversion, a story of transformation. Transformation, a, a story of someone whose whole entire life is transformed by the grace of God in Jesus Christ and by the power of the Holy Spirit. It is the, it is the story of the power of God to change lives according to his purpose. Now when we read through the book of Acts, and, and frankly when we read through the scriptures in general, isn't this the story of the scriptures, the sto- and, and, and as we're looking in the story of Acts, the story in the book of Acts is a story about a God who changes lives. Who transforms lives by his grace, by his resurrection, and by the power of the Spirit. And then the story of Acts is one who who regular people's lives that are transformed, then they become the ones who bring the grace of God in Jesus Christ and who bring the witness of the resurrection, who bring the Holy Spirit into the lives of other people whose then lives are transformed and continues on and on. This is the story of the book of Acts as we see it. What we read today in the two portions of the book of Acts are are two different stories, and I wanted to read them both Because we start to see here in Acts chapter 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, how the church begins to spread the good news of Jesus beyond the city of Jerusalem and outwards. And so we we read two different stories about the namesake for our church. Peter and Paul, right? Saints Peter and Paul. One about Peter, one about Paul. And here's what we read today. First, we saw Peter in Acts chapter 10. And we read just a portion today. I, I, we didn't read the section that says where he is and who he's talking to. So I want to show you a map here. Peter, Peter traveled from the city of Jerusalem up to the city of Caesarea. And there, there's a man named Cornelius, and he's a military guy. He's a Gentile, actually. But he is a Gentile who is favorable to the Jewish message, and he knows the scriptures. And he is, he's probably even heard of the coming Messiah, but he does not yet know that Jesus is the Messiah. Peter gets this wild vision from God that he's supposed to go up there, and Peter's hesitant because Cornelius is a Gentile. He's not a Jewish person. Peter's a Jew, and they're not supposed to associate with Gentiles, and so he's got this internal wrestling of what is he supposed to do about this. Although he's hesitant, he ends up going, and through that conversion experience, Cornelius and and everybody there, they're they're all baptized and become believers. Well, the story goes on if you read it in the Scriptures. Peter has to go and give a report of his work to the church leadership down in the city of Jerusalem. And so Peter goes to the city of Jerusalem to the church leaders and tells them what happened in this miraculous experience of Cornelius, this Gentile. The Jews, the now Jewish Christians, are not too happy about this. They're not. They're not happy about it. They don't understand. They tell Peter, you're not supposed to associate with the Gentiles. This is going to make things messy. How are we supposed to handle this? And so Peter did the right thing, although he was hesitant to go, but the church at large doesn't really understand why the good news of Jesus needs to be brought to these Gentiles. What I want you to see about the ministry of Peter is that Peter's ministry is, he stays relatively close to home. You see his map here? This is about the furthest that Peter travels. His his responsibility is sort of Jerusalem and the region okay? Peter stays a little bit close to home. Not a bad thing to do. That's his ministry. But then in Acts chapter 13, we start to see how serious God is about making sure that the word of the resurrection of Jesus spreads to the furthest reaches of the world. And so we meet Paul and Barnabas, his, his uh, partner in the ministry, and they are sent off from Antioch to the island of Cyprus. So let me show you another map here, and I know it's kind of small, you may not be able to see, but at the bottom of that red line is the city of Jerusalem. At the top of the red line is the city of Antioch in modern-day Syria, about 300 miles to the north of Jerusalem. Antioch became kind of another hub of Christianity in the early church. And so Paul and Barnabas were living in Antioch. Peter's down in Jerusalem, the Christian church kind of headquartered down there. But we see Paul and Barnabas are moved by the Spirit then to be sent out. And so what we read today is the beginning of their first missionary journey. And it says that they sailed from, or or they left Antioch to go to Seleucia and sailed to Cyprus. So I'll show you one more map. And so Cyprus is that island in the Mediterranean Sea. It's still there today if you want to go see it. And, and today, I don't necessarily want to dwell too much on the details of what happened on the island of Cyprus. We read it. And, but I'd encourage you to keep reading, um, because in 13 and 14, uh, Paul and Barnabas go to a number of different cities and have a variety of experiences, some crazy and extreme experiences as well. And so if you haven't read it yet, again... Um, we are doing a daily Bible reading through the book of Acts. If, you, if you're if you just joining with us in this sermon series, uh, in your bulletin, in the notes and news section, we've got daily Bible readings listed for you, so you can read a portion of this each week, and, and this week you would read what I'm preaching on, and I encourage you to do that. What I want you to see today is not necessarily the details of what happened, but a, a bigger picture And what I want you to see is the extreme lengths, the seriousness that God has about his Acts 1-8 command that he gave to his disciples. That command that he gave to them to be my witnesses where? In Jerusalem and in Judea, which is the surrounding neighborhood region, and in Samaria, which is the next region out, and where? To the ends of the earth. All of the above. Jesus is very clear about this mission and God is willing to go to extreme lengths to see that it happens. And those extreme lengths are to use people who are the furthest from God. People like Saul, a persecutor of the church. God is willing to go so far as to work in his life and convert him. People that are furthest from God in order to go where? To people who are furthest from God. This is the story that we see. Paul and Barnabas, they are, they, are, they are zealous for the gospel of Jesus. They just, they go, and they go, and they go, and they go. And as they go, things do not necessarily go well. In the city of Lystra, uh, Paul gets stoned. And I don't mean the Colorado kind. I mean the, I mean the Stephen kind, like the, the kind that rocks get thrown at him. That happened to Paul in Lystra. They thought he was dead. They dragged him out of the city. He was not dead, miraculously. But that happens to them. And and things begin to get messy for Paul and Barnabas as they're in these foreign lands. But things also get messy for Peter and the Jerusalem church. Just think, imagine that this is what's going on. There's just a mix and a clash of cultures, religious... Societal, racial groups mixing and melding in the unity of Jesus Christ, kind of. I already mentioned how the church in Jerusalem didn't understand Peter going to the Gentiles, right? But now we've got Paul and Barnabas up in these foreign countries, and, and now they're converting people who had, who had worshipped Zeus and these other gods that you learn about in your high school literature class. They're worshipping them, and now they're coming to faith in Jesus. And then you've got guys like Cornelius, who were Gentiles, who were favorable to the Jews, and now they're becoming Christians. And all these cultures are coming together, and they're having big debates about, well, who's the better Christian, and and whose culture is going to dominate? Do we all need to practice the same behaviors, or can we hold on to some of our heritage and yet still be Christians? I mean, right? Uh, What a messy situation they're encountering. And I would say, what a beautiful thing it is. What a beautiful thing it is. Wouldn't you say? What a beautiful thing. In the book of Revelation, at the very end of your Bible, uh, there's there's a vision of what heaven looks like. And, And in heaven, John, who writes the Revelation, has this vision in Revelation chapter 7. It says, After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Who is in heaven? People from everywhere. People from everywhere, every tribe, every tongue, and not just speak in English when they're saying salvation belongs to the Lord. And how did those people from the furthest reaches, from every tribe and nation and tongue, come to a realization and a knowledge of the goodness and the grace of Jesus Christ? Somebody went to them. Somebody went. Somebody went. Here's where it gets real for us. Church. Saints Peter and Paul Lutheran Church here in Houghton, Michigan, in the year 2018. How are we doing at living up to our namesake, Peter and Paul? How are we doing in in our following through on that command of Christ in Acts chapter 1-8 to be witnesses of the resurrection of Jesus, which you are, by the way, which you are, maybe not direct eyewitnesses, but you're witnesses of the resurrection, to be witnesses in our Jerusalem, and in our Judea, our region, and in our Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. How are we we doing? As a church, we are intentionally working on different ideas and initiatives all the time to put before you as a church in order to be the hands and feet of Jesus locally and throughout the world. When these opportunities present themselves, and we have some things planned for the future as well, when these things pop up before you, church, I pray, I pray that you support these things, and not just with your prayers, not just with your finances, with your lives. With your lives. But as I say this to you, I want to show you a picture of me. Here's a picture of me. Do you know where I am here? in my comfort zone. (laughs) This is me and my sweats and my hat, my slippers, my cup of coffee, living in the peace and quiet of my home with three young children. (laughs) This is me in my comfort zone. Maybe, maybe, I've, maybe, I've, maybe, maybe I've got some of you fooled and you've pegged me for some crazy extrovert that loves to be out and about and meeting all kinds of people and doing wild and crazy things. If that's the case, I probably got you, got you fooled a little bit. Yes, I love to meet people. I love to be out and about, but this is my comfort zone. You have one, two. You have a comfort zone. We all do. We like, we like our comfort zone. And oftentimes we don't want to leave it. <laughs> right? And Satan by all means, does not want us to leave our comfort zone. But we have to. We have to. The Great Commission of Jesus Christ is not just a nice idea for us to talk about, it is a command for us to obey. It is a command, it's a matter of obedience to the command of Jesus Christ and to who he has made us to be in this newness of life in Jesus. We need to leave the safety and comfort of these four walls, people of God. This is a wonderful gift, do not get me wrong, this church is a wonderful gift, a tremendous blessing, and we need the local church for the well-being of the building up of the body, so don't get me wrong, this is a wonderful place, a place of refuge, a place of refuge where we gather together as broken, weak, sinful people to hear the word of forgiveness, to receive the sacraments that go into our bodies, to transform us to be like Christ, where we come together as the body of Christ to build one another up in mutual companionship and support and encouragement in this call and command. This is a wonderful gift. Do not get me wrong. I'm not diminishing the the reality that we need to have the local church. But we come here in order to go there, wherever there is. We come here in order to go there. There, As I said, it's a matter of obedience to the word of God and to the command that he's given to us. But let me, let me say this clearly, hopefully clearly. I do not believe that every single Christian is to be like Paul and to travel to the furthest reaches of the world. I don't believe that. Not everybody was Paul. right? Some, some of you have been uniquely gifted to stay close to home and to be here, and to take care of things. But I do believe that some of you have been given the giftedness and the power of the Spirit to go places. To go places, to go boldly and adventurously into this world, not knowing what's to come, not counting the cost, but to go. And I believe some of you in this room have that gift and that calling. And so I want to plain and simple ask you today, who of you are willing to go? Who of you are willing to go? And and I'm honestly not asking this rhetorically. I'm not asking this rhetorically. I'm asking uh, because as a church, we've put a couple of opportunities in front of you in the last year and a half, even to travel overseas, to go to to Honduras uh, on a mission trip. And and I'm a bit saddened by the lack of response that we had for that trip, and we had to postpone it twice. I'm saying this not to guilt any of you, but I want to directly talk to some of you if that is upon your heart. And so if you have that calling upon your heart that you would desire to go, adventurously, not counting the cost, but for the sake of the gospel, if you want to go, here's my email address. This is my, and I'm serious. I don't put this up here to guilt you. I'm, I'm serious. Some of you don't have the, the gifting, not in a bad way, in a good way. Some of you have the gifting to stay here. But some of you, that I know the Spirit is working in your life and saying, I gotta go. I wanna go. I'm ready to go. Lord, send me. If that's you, send me an email and we'll talk and we'll see what opportunities present themselves and then we can work together for the greater good of building the kingdom of God here on earth and we as a church can live out that command of Jesus Christ to be witnesses where? In our Jerusalem and in our Judea and in our Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So if you want to go, let me know. Let me know. As we leave today though, as we leave today, I want you to hear this. As you read the stories of Peter and Paul and these bold witnesses in the in the book of Acts, do not let Satan convince you that somehow Paul had more of the Holy Spirit than you do. Paul did not have more of the Holy Spirit than you do. Jesus did not love Paul more than you. Just because Peter was a direct eyewitness of Jesus does not mean he had more Holy Spirit than you do. You are baptized. You have been called To be children of God. You are fully converted. You are fully transformed. And by that transformation comes the Holy Spirit into your life fully. Fully, as much as Paul, as much as Peter, as much as Barnabas, into your lives. And you then have that opportunity to be obedient to the command of Christ, to be witnesses, not just to the ends of the earth. We need some of you to stay here in Jerusalem, in Houghton, Hancock. So go and do it. Be bold witnesses of the resurrection. Speak that truth at all costs, not counting the cost for the sake of the world. There are billions, billions of people in this world who do not know Jesus Christ. What are you doing about that? Go in the fullness of the Spirit of Jesus Christ and the peace that rules, may that keep your hearts and your minds in the one true faith into the life everlasting in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.